it's one of those things of like the story you tell yourself, the story other people tell about you, and the story you choose to tell other people. And I believe in focusing on that third prong because it can ultimately rewrite the narrative, both of the story you're telling yourself, which might be that apology, but it can also rewrite the story that other people are telling about you. That was award-winning storyteller Hilary Ray talking about how our stories, and specifically the stories that we choose to tell about ourselves, can be a powerful tool that puts us back in control of our narrative. In this episode, we explore how we can tell the best story, the one we want to tell about our midlife reinventions. You're listening to Second Breaks, a show about life in the middle. My name's Lou Blazer. I'm a former management consultant and IT leader turned writer and podcaster, and of course, your host. And there's one thing you should know about me right away. I am not an expert on midlife. I'm on this journey just like you. So together with my guests, we're going to explore what it actually takes to navigate midlife, thrive in it, and turn it into the best phase of our lives. This podcast is brought to you by Midlife Cues, a digital publication for the over 40 about getting stronger, wiser, and bolder in our midlife. Check it out and subscribe for free at midlifecues.com. Chances are you've read the book Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert, or seen the movie of the same title with Julia Roberts. It's one of the more well-known examples that I could think of of someone, Elizabeth Dilbert in this case, choosing the parts of her life that she wanted to include in her narrative so that she can share her experience with us. There is no doubt that her book was not a complete retelling of her transformative experience. There were parts, for sure, that she kept for herself. And of course, there were things that she left out. But it didn't make her narrative false or inauthentic. Elizabeth Gilbert chose the dots from her lived experience that she wanted to connect for us and told us the story of herself, of her life, that she wanted us to know. And I think that this is such a beautiful and powerful thing. In an article Elizabeth wrote for the Oprah magazine, she differentiated incidents from stories. She said an incident is an event that happens in real time with real consequences involving human emotions, whereas a story is what we make out of it later. A story, she wrote, is a magnificent thing because it puts us back in control of our narrative. My guest today is Hilary Ray, the founder of Tell Me a Story a communication consulting company that teaches entrepreneurs, mission-driven leaders, and committed change makers how to use the art of storytelling as a powerful communication tool. In this episode, Hillary and I talk about how we can compose and tell the story that we want to tell about our life and our midlife reinvention, how do we keep vulnerability and authenticity in our quote-unquote prepared stories and how we choose the stories that we want to include in our overall narrative. One last note about this episode. This is pretty much a straight-up interview without any of the usual interjections from me. 
I was traveling to Asia when I was producing this episode. Actually, I still am in the middle of my travel. And in fact, you're you're going to hear a reference to it at some point during my chat with Hillary. And so anyway, the usual process that I do when producing episodes just wasn't possible during the, the travel. So, But I'm sure you're still going to enjoy this even without the usual production elements that I typically include in the episodes. And as usual, I would love to hear from you as you're listening to this one. You can find me on Instagram at Blazer. Once upon a time, this podcast was primarily focused on stories around career pivots and career reinvention. And these days, I've broadened the conversation to talk about topics beyond career. But during the time when I was talking about career pivots and career reinventions, I would sometimes hear somebody talking about their pivot that sometimes sounds defensive, as if the person is trying to explain or rationalize why they've made a pivot. And I could totally understand. There was a period of time when, you know, uh, during the time when I was deciding to make a pivot myself, I felt like I have to explain, over-explain, or defend my position to other people. And I was wondering whether you've had experience in this and are there is there something that we can do to kind of remind ourselves how to avoid sounding defensive about our career change or not just necessarily career, but our change story. I found for myself and also with folks that I've worked with when this conversation comes up, which it does, is that the defensiveness is also a form of apologizing or or like, I feel like, especially in how I used to talk about myself, I would like list like circumstantially everything that was happening in my life, but that wasn't actually really who I was or what I was accomplishing or what I wanted people to know about me. And even in my tone of voice, I would be apologizing as I was talking about myself. Like even if I wasn't saying I'm sorry. And I think the defensive thing can happen too, especially like if we're with family members or friends or colleagues that have a maybe what looks to be a straighter path or a different path than what I'm choosing to do that it's like, oh, well, this is okay too. Like, I don't have to be like you and everyone (laughs) else. And again, it's one of those things of like the story you tell yourself, the story other people tell about you and the story you choose to tell other people. Ooh, and so the story you tell yourself, mm -hmm. the story that other people tell about about you. you And the, the story you choose to tell about yourself. You know, to other, other people. And I believe in focusing on that third prong because it can ultimately rewrite the narrative, both of the story you're telling yourself, which might be that apology yes, or that like yeah. defense mechanism, but it can also rewrite the story that other people are telling about you because maybe the defensiveness or the apology is because other people are expecting you to take a different path or to be a different person. And that that's, really just a refusal to listen. It's not like a refusal of accepting who you are. I think it's just like a refusal to listen to what's new and what's different, especially if there is a big change. Yes. Yeah. As you were talking about it, I realized that when you were saying that there's like an apology embedded into this, it almost as if there is an expectation, say, say I'm the one who's sounding apologetic or defensive. It's almost as if there is an expectation that I'm somehow missing by changing this way or making this kind of pivot, that I'm somehow now need to 
compensate for or explain away why I'm not meeting that sort of expectation. I didn't realize that that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's sort of like a, an, an internal narrative. And because the person you're talking to probably is not even questioning. No, your, and I can think, story. I can think of an example. So one of the choices I've made in my life in the last nine years is that I'm in a full-time life partnership with my boyfriend. And it's weird because I, it feels weird calling him a boyfriend because we've been together for nine years. <laughs> and we're making a choice. We don't want to get married. We don't want to have children. And we also intentionally live in separate houses that are mm-hmm. three blocks away from each other. And mm-hmm. so we, and we own each of our own homes. And we still spend most of our time like back and forth in these homes. But when I made all of those choices, no marriage, no children, and I'm living together but apart with my life partner, I came up a lot of like a lot of varied reactions that then made me defensive in some situations and made me apologize. And it took a long time for me to not do that. And also it took other people being like, oh, wow, I wish I was in that situation, especially during a pandemic. Like we can be together when we want to be together and we can be apart when we want to be apart. And not everyone had that choice. And so it took a little bit of like positive external validation, but a lot of it had to do with what I was telling myself about the decisions that I was making. Right. Right. And I guess some. I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but probably the person who's listening to your story could hear your defensiveness. And probably the more I hear about the defensiveness, probably the more questions I come up with instead of when you are being, you know, just saying this is the decision. This is what we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're you're sort of like channeling or, you know, uh, whatever that word is, your internal thoughts into the conversation. And what if instead I focused on, well, like the reason I don't want to have children is because I'm really passionate about my career and I know myself that I can't do both. And so I could tell a story about my career that I feel really positive about saying, I can tell a story about living with my past, a past relationship and not making it be the reason why I never want to live with anyone again. Or also my like fierce independence as an only child or my introvertedness. Like there's all of these things that I feel really good about in those decisions that I could choose to talk about. And then I'll stop apologizing and stop getting defensive and the other people will understand me better. You know, sometimes the story is very direct, right? So this thing happened and I came to the realization that I wanted to do X, Y, Z. And I talked about it with people who are important to me and I made the decision. And so that's what I'm doing now. But sometimes it's not quite that direct. (laughs) Sometimes it's like, well, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I tried A and that didn't work. So I tried B, C, D. And how did... I mean, do we tell those parts? Do we need to make it more straight line story? Like, what are your thoughts about those circuitous stories? Yeah, I really love a circuitous, circuitous <laughs> story. Um, and it, and not necessarily ones that go all the way back to the beginning <laughs> and tell every twist and turn and yes. like wait and, you know, slow, slow and steady take us to some sort of resolution or end. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a way to talk about key moments that now, because basically I'm going to backtrack a little, like we have our life experiences and then we have the memories that we're holding on to about those life experiences that shape shifts. Like as we 
get older, as we live new life experiences, as we gain new perspectives and worldviews, as we change. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about like finding those, brainstorming the memories of those life experiences and like, why am I holding on to this? Like, what is like standing out to me as the reason why I want to share this? And then again, like doing that internal connecting of dots to bring whoever's listening through like a few of those moments that are really grounding you and the person listening in the where you are now. So I think mm. the focusing on the where you are now, which will obviously mm. change and shift more, you can be, it's almost like you're curating the moments that you want to support that versus like going back in time and going through every moment that got you to where you are now. And even if you leave things out, by zooming in on those smaller moments or spending time in a specific event that took place that had a big impact, the way you tell it and what you're talking about will help the person listening understand who you are, even if they don't know every single thing about you. Right, exactly. Um, I heard you say this one time, like, you don't want to have to start in the beginning, you enter your story wherever you want to enter the story. And there's always this fear that, well, I need context, don't I need to provide, <laughs> to provide context, because they might not understand. But to your point, they will get, mm -hmm. they will get your story, or they would ask. Exactly. It really depends also on the context of where you're sharing that, how you're sharing this, where you're sharing this, who you're sharing this to. Like if you're giving voice to something like either pre-recorded, like on a podcast or a video or in an interview in live in person or on a stage or wherever it is, by if someone can see you and hear you and like experience your experience with you, they're getting such a bigger sense of who you are than just the story itself based on the style in which you're communicating, um, your body language, your energy, your emotion, like all of that is telling giving backstory even if there aren't like the circumstances shared of like everything that <laughs> happened ahead of time you do a lot of these conversations you get interviewed do you find that you're st telling your story over and over and do you ever find like the need to <laughs> change it up <laughs> I think for the longest time I defaulted to a story about how I started my business that five years ago was the story <laughs> of how I started the business and I think there have been times like even in the last couple of years where like that's just the one that came to my mind and it's still a story. Like, I still think it represents who I am. I still think it is like a key moment in time that really allowed me to explore the power of storytelling beyond me sharing my own story on a stage, like giving other people the power and the tools to tell their story. And that if someone asked me like, oh, like, how did you get started in your business now? I would choose to enter that story in a moment in time that happened a year ago, about a week prior to the pandemic. And yes, I've started to share that story. Like I have shared it in two different interview scenarios, but I'm, I'm talking to someone different every time. So I'm not memorizing what I'm sharing. Like I'm in the moment trying to communicate what it is to the person I'm speaking to. And then also based on like the rest of the conversation, it might come out differently. So if I'm starting to feel sick of it, though, 
then it probably means I need to refresh it and that I need to really come back to, okay, well, where am I now? And what can I talk about that got me there? Do you suggest that particularly for people who've made such a big uh, midlife change in their lives, whether it's career or just a self-reinvention, I get the sense that um, and I don't want to see the, the reason I hesitate is because there's an element to what I'm about to ask that sounds like it's contrived that like, it's almost as if I need to brainstorm or think about the parts of my stories that I, the story that I want to share and how I want to share it so that when I get asked, I know how to tell my story in a way that positions, you know, my story better and the way that I want to talk about myself. But then there's a part of me that says, if I did that, and this is where the hesitance is coming from. If I did that, does that mean I, I've come up with it's My story is contrived. It's not spontaneous. Mm. It's not, do you know what I mean? I, yeah, that's a really, really <laughs> wonderful question. And I think that it's something I hear a lot. It's something I've asked myself a lot. I believe storytelling is a learnable skill, and I also believe that everybody can become a really skilled storyteller, and mm -hmm. I think everyone enters the skill level at a different point. For example, I have a friend, his name is R. Eric Thomas, and he has gotten some notability in the last handful of years because he's published a memoir, he's written a couple other books, he was a, a writer at Elle magazine, he has a really brilliant newsletter. And prior to that, I got to know him because he told stories from his life on stage. And then even in social settings would just be like the most brilliant off the cuff storyteller. And I know that he puts a lot of work into it. But I also know that a lot of the work comes out of that first off the cuff telling. And he is someone that it like if he wasn't allowed to prepare, he would still be like win a Pulitzer. Like he is just a brilliant spoken storyteller and writer most people like i'm sure everyone has one person in their life where they're like whoa that person is an amazing storyteller for everyone else it takes work including myself i take myself through a very specific process that i also help other people go through and it's not contrived because what it is it's 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 building a muscle and building a skill to then add to the rest of how you communicate and so I actually think that by taking a step back and really taking time to craft it ahead of time and to put intention into why you're telling it and what you want the person listening to feel or do or think about, it's a service to both you and the other person. And the end result isn't a memorized speech. There's, it's doing all of this prep work in advance to then let it go in the moment and be present with your lived experience and trust that like the structure you built out or the things you wanted to talk about, the details you wanted to zoom in on will come out. They might not come out the same way every time, but they're there for you. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. I'm, I'm about to make a, a pretty significant move, a life move, at least for a period of time, because as I shared with you before we hit record, I'm going to spend some time with mom. Um, and so there's a story about that, that I know I will get asked often, and it, it would behoove me to know what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it or how I'm going to choose to say it. Yeah. And it might take some time and that's okay too. Like you have to live those moments first and so if people ask about it it might not be a full story or it might be like you know what like I know 
that this is going to impact me in a way that I haven't even explored yet. Yes. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. There yeah. you go. <laughs> so there are certain kinds of changes that are very visible. So somebody who's made a lifestyle change has maybe lost 40 pounds or something like that. Like there, there's visible change that's happening. And sometimes the way that, you know, that's what they're being asked to talk about the visible transformation that's happened to them. But what if the, what if there's a more internal sort of change that's happened to you that you want to share so that you're not just focusing on the, the visible transformation? Is there a way to bring that up? I would guess like in thinking of my own like drastic, like things that maybe I changed ex- externally, like every single one that I could think of also at the same time, it involved those internal changes. And even sometimes there aren't the external changes, but there's like a whole experience happening inside. And so a lot of how I approach that and how I help other people approach that is thinking like, what's the emotional story that like runs through the like actual this happened and then this happened and then this happened? What how do you see yourself differently now as the storyteller looking back on this experience? So you're almost playing two roles. You're the storyteller, you as a storyteller, but then you're the character in your own story. So playing with that. So I, I do believe that talking about those internal experiences, there's a way to bring it to life in an active way and paint a picture for someone that's as valuable, if not more valuable than like, I went to the gym every day and I ate salads every day. And I, you know, like there's that aspect of it too. Right. But there's so much more. And that's how we really learn who someone is and how we see each experience as a unique experience, but also as a shared experience. Like one of the things I can think about as an example from my life is I am a very anxious person. Um, But compared now to how I was before, like I got to a point at one point where I was scared to leave my house like I would make a plan or I'd have to be somewhere and I would carry my bike down my front steps to get on it and I would go three feet and be like I can't go and I'm coming in or I just like wouldn't leave and there were just things like even if it got dark at six o'clock at night like I was just I was living in fear for no reason like not I mean I still don't can't identify a reason but it was uh, impacting every aspect of my life and it was really taking a toll on me but one of the choices I made was like, you know what, I'm going to try some things on my own to see if I can resolve this anxiety. And one of them was meditation. And one of them was this thing called the happiness planner or something. But it wasn't those things that I did, the happiness planner or the meditation. It was like me, I've always been a person that likes challenges. And so I was like, I'm going to do this every single day for 365 days. And I made that commitment for myself And so I did that with meditation and I did that with the happiness planner. I remember like the happiness planner was really thick because every page got, every day got its own page, right? So it's like over 300 pages, if not more. I remember like bringing it on an airplane (laughs) to like have it with me when I was traveling. So I wouldn't, I remember being so tired that, but I hadn't done my meditation yet today that I would be like lying in my bed, half asleep. I put on Andy from Headspace and I'm like, this counts, right? Things like that. And I remember that like I wasn't cured right away. Like I don't even think if I could even identify 
that my anxiety was lessening. Like I definitely still had trouble leaving the house and had all of this fear, unresolved fear. Mm -hmm. But if I look back now, like I'm still anxious, but I have built a habit where like I don't even meditate every day anymore, but I know that that's what will make me feel better. And I know that Mm -hmm. if I have a sense of gratitude or if I really measure my mood or if I do get scared, I take a moment and I ask myself what's going on, that I built a habit that can get me to a much less anxious place. And like generally every day I feel calm. I feel I know I'm safe. I know I'm okay. So like to me, that's a story of like, yes, anxiety is like something that happens inside, but it does manifest externally. And it was a change I went on where I still had to take steps along the way Mm -hmm. and I had to track my changes. So I don't know if that helps explain. Yeah, no, no, no. It helps because also the way that you told that story Yes, I heard the specific tactics or the specific things that you did or tried to help you, but I also heard a change in the way that you, there's, there are other things that are not related to the specific topic that I heard. So my, my takeaway from this is that sometimes when, when you're being asked, you're being asked a very direct question, like, oh, how did you lose weight? Or how did you whatever X, Y, Z? Or like in my case, why did you decide to grow your gray, your hair gray? <laughs> and I could, uh, there is a way for me to answer the question that's very direct to the question that's being asked. Or I could incorporate the parts that I really wanted to bring up and, and not not necessarily how it's being asked of you. If, yeah. You know, it's almost like answering the question that you want to answer. And then interpreting it in the way that makes sense for you. Because I just actually had a conversation with a client that just did a job interview. And one of the questions that they were asked in the job interview was, is there a time when you did something that resulted in like an unpopular opinion or an unpopular like result, I guess. Right. And and in the moment she responded, uh, I can't think of anything because usually the way that I approach projects and tasks is that I I think very carefully about what the opinion will be and I make sure that it won't get there. So yes, that's sharing part like a part of her, but she left feeling like, oh no, I didn't answer that question. And they want to know how I handle conflict or tension or unpopular. And in the conversation her and I had after, I was like, well, do you have a story where something you did left an unpopular opinion in yourself? Like mm. a moment that you were like conflicted internally or you didn't see yourself favorably or the choices favorably? And she's like, oh, yes. And I love that. And I never thought about like, taking that question and interpreting in a new way. And I was like, yeah, do you think they would be disappointed in hearing a different interpretation? She's like, no, I bet you they would be like intrigued that that's where my brain went to answer that question. So that goes back to what you said as well of like, you can be direct in your response, but you can respond how you like in a way that again, isn't trying to figure out the answer that they want to hear. So I heard you one time talk about this thing, Hillary, where you said, you said you hated or not hated, but you didn't want this, this thing about the hero's journey that we all hear about (laughs) and that you did, you wanted to get away from that. You know, I heard you talk about it in a context where I wasn't able to like ask follow-up questions, but I really, really wanted to know why. Yeah, sure. So yes, I think I have used as strong language as I hate the hero's journey or Yeah, all of that. But it all comes from this place 
where like it's not just the only choice isn't to share a hero's journey story, which is for those even listening now that are like, what is this? I believe the term was coined by Joseph Campbell in the like 50s, 1950s. And if you think of all the way we hear any story in culture, whether it's someone's personal story or a Disney film, everything is in Western culture is in, has this story structure. So beginning, middle and end is really what I think all you need for a story to be a story. But there's all these elements where, yeah, someone sets off, off on this journey. They encounter all of these obstacles along the way. Mm-hmm. It's usually a man. there's some sort of, you know, denouement, like climax that then pivots the circumstances of the story, but then also changes the main character. And at the end, everything is resolved. They are a whole new person and they are almighty and powerful. And (laughs) the end. Yes. That's my like sarcastic sort of summary. (laughs) So yes, that can serve some circumstances, some storytelling formats and some people. But I believe that that is also really restrictive and it also puts a lot of pressure for everybody, like for each person to think, well, I have to have this huge monumental story. What if I'm not at this end yet where everything's resolved and I'm perfect or powerful or different or changed? It's a lot of pressure. And I think what it can often do is silence the voices of people that do have stories to tell because there's not their the other ways to tell them aren't as out in the world. And I came to this because I did a lot of competitive storytelling shows when I first got into storytelling. It was me getting up on stage, telling stories from my life, but doing it in, in venues where there were judges, there were, there were scores, there was a winner and the winner got to go on to the next level. And so I am sort of a competitive person, but that wasn't really why I did it. I did it because when I went the first time, I felt this connection between myself and the audience that I had never felt before. And I felt like I was actually being like the truest version of myself. And it was scary at first, but in the fear was a release and a freedom Mm -hmm. of like, I can put myself out there and share who I am and I'm okay. And I'm Mm -hmm. supported by these, these people listening to me, but I was never winning the shows. And I'm looking back on it. I wasn't winning because I was telling stories in a completely different way than anyone else was telling stories. And I think a lot of what was expected of the people getting up on stage was to share a hero's journey story. And eventually I did win. And I don't know, like if I look back, I could try to figure out if the story were hero's journey stories. I don't think so. So that helped. And then there's this amazing article that I can send you if you want to link it in the show yes, notes yes. by this um, writer, director, actor, Britt Marling, who's a, she did a bunch of science fiction films and a television series called The OA that's on Netflix. And she wrote uh, an op-ed piece for the New York Times in February of 2020. And it was called something like, I don't want to be the strong female lead. And she tells this whole story about her life in corporate America, becoming mm-hmm. an actress and not getting any like substantive, substantive, I can't say that word, substantial, <laughs> substantive, substantive roles. And then all of a sudden she was cast in these like strong women roles, but she was still getting like murdered or s- sexualized or all this. And then in the article, she dives into the hero's journey and and talks about it in a way, and I don't want to give it away, but she talks about it in this way that like exploded my brain because I was like, this is what I do, what she's talking about, this alternative. There is another way. 
I should own this because this is what I help other people do. And I don't think I'm realizing how important it is. And so the reason why I'm so anti is because I'm so passionate about storytelling and I don't want those terms to hold anyone back from giving voice to their story. You know, when you first said it in that event where I heard you first said it, I didn't quite understand. But now I get it. And also, I think this is sometimes you, you, you've you heard this where people would go, who would be interested in my story? I don't have that yes. great story. And I think that's coming from that. That's coming from the place where I don't have that massive like arc of a story where this inciting thing happened. And then I, I, I you know, went through all these obstacles. And then I... Like, I don't have that kind of, like, you know, crescendo. And I think that's why people sometimes say, well, I don't, who would, like, my story is boring or bland or I don't have that grand advice. I think that's where it's yeah. going from. And, and it's, now I get it. Yeah. It's that. I agree with you. And I've heard that. And I've felt that. And I think it's this other layer of, like, in everybody's unique, specific life experience that they're sharing as a story, we're going to listen and translate it into our the context of our, our own worldview and life yes. experiences. And then it, it matters all the more because not only can I understand the person who's telling the story even better, I there's a potential that I could understand myself mm-hmm. better based on what I just heard. And I had mm-hmm. a client once say... Like, you help me realize that my stories matter. And by me realizing that my stories matter, I can help other people realize that their stories matter, too. And that's the other thing that you said in that event Mm -hmm. that I keep referencing, too, because um, I feel this way sometimes that I feel like I shouldn't talk about myself. But you said that in talking about some of my stories that other people will see themselves in my stories or can see themselves in my stories. That's another part that I didn't, that I didn't get before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that it's, I like to think about storytelling as a conversation, even if someone, one side of a conversation is speaking for a longer period of time or Mm -hmm. they're the only one speaking. So long as my focus is that it is reciprocal and that there is Mm -hmm. a dialogue and that there's room for reflection and an exchange of connection, trust, energy, conversation, anything. And it really is of service to the people listening for you to share something about yourself. been talking peripherally about or indirectly about your work Mm -hmm. but can you actually talk (laughs) about what you do (laughs) yes so i am the founder of tell me a story and tell me a story is a company that came out of a live storytelling experience that's how i started this it was a show that people went to for nine years in person but halfway through that live show experience i had drive to explore further how to use storytelling as a powerful communication tool and like went through many iterations of what that looked like. But now what it looks like and what I'm so excited about is that I work one-on-one with individuals to craft their narrative and most everyone I work with develops a core story. So that story that serves where they are now that mm-hmm. maybe does talk about the pivot, the change, the mm-hmm. the winding path but mm-hmm. in a way that really supports who you are and what you mm-hmm. do, what you stand for, where you're headed. And then you get this whole arsenal of other stories that will be brainstormed that support that core story as well. So you can spend time in 
in a specific moment of your life as a whole separate story if you need to. So do people normally come to you to work with you? Are there like... I guess I'm trying to imagine, like, is it because they are in positions of they're always being interviewed? Is mm-hmm. that typically or is it because, you know, they're in leadership positions or, you know? So there's about three different paths that that have people arrive <laughs> to, my, to my door. Right, and it's, right. It's, one is like I, someone that's launching their own endeavor, own endeavor meaning like own business or is making a shift or change in their, their own work and needs to talk about themselves, find their founder voice in that for the various channels of communication, whether that's interviews, podcasts, or their own podcast or their newsletter or public speaking, all of that. I also work with a lot of folks in leadership positions that are really trying to shake things up at work and making changes for themselves as leaders, but also for those that they are leading. And so storytelling can really help, again, in that regard, get people to think differently and build trust differently. Then I work with a lot of people that are going through some sort of big life transition And they want the story for themselves first so that they can then share it the way they want to share it with other people. And so, again, that can happen in the business owner world. It can happen in the leadership world. But it can also happen in whatever life circumstances you're in if you're going through a big shift. Because it's all, again, about finding the story you want to tell other people to then reframe the story for yourself and also reframe the story that other people are telling about you. I saw that you're not on social media. Yeah. Why are you not on social media? Why did you decide to leave social media? Many reasons. Uh, big one was ethics about mm. technology. Mm. Um, the other one was my mental health, just not feeling like I was actually truly connecting in on those platforms and that also I was creating stories about other people's lives that were not helpful to create. And thirdly... I be- I personally think that my own storytelling voice doesn't fit well within the restrictions of those platforms. But I work with people that are still on social media and find their storytelling voice and use it in that way. So I'm not against mm-hmm. it for other people. It was a personal choice for me. Uh-huh. Interesting. I mm-hmm. I got myself out of Facebook because I didn't like um, I didn't really like the company. Yeah. But also, I didn't like some of the habits that I was forming. I didn't mm-hmm. like who I was becoming when I was a user of Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I stopped using Facebook for that for that reason. Yeah, I really so. love that phrase you just said of I didn't like who I was becoming. I think that I was going up against that and I didn't like the stories I was telling about other people based on what I was seeing on social media. At 20, I was being told what my voice should be. So I was at New York University studying singing, and I was finding tension between myself and what I wanted my voice to be and sound like and who I was. I felt tension between that and what I was being told I should sound like and being told who I was by the people that were teaching me how to use my voice. And that resulted in me eventually a couple of years later not wanting to really use my voice at all. And then now, I am using my voice in a way that feels like it truly is mine. I love it. I don't need people to tell me what I should sound like or who I should be. 
And I feel really comfortable in my own skin and really excited about sharing who I am and what I believe in with other people. And that also looks like me finding my singing voice again from that place of this is who I am. Elizabeth Gilbert once said, your history is whatever story you choose to tell about yourself. I believe that telling our story is about choosing and connecting the dots of our life. It's not about retelling incidents from beginning to end, but rather crafting the story that gives meaning to our lived experiences. I hope you found this episode with Hilary Ray helpful. You can find out more about Hilary and her work on her website, tellmeastory.info. As always, you're going to find all the links and the highlights of this episode, including the link to the article that you mentioned on the show notes at secondvoice.com. And listen, if you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, I would so appreciate it if you would do me a favor and share it with your friends. You can share on social media or just mention that you listen to the podcast. You spreading the word about the show really helps to grow our community of thriving midlifers and I will be so grateful. In our next episode, I'll be joined by Lorraine Miano, the author of the book, The Magic of Menopause. And if you're like, what magic? Then you definitely need to listen to this episode. Lorraine and I talk about the common misconceptions we have about menopause. We also talk about strategies that we can employ so that we can focus on the positive aspects of this phase of our lives and get our happy back. I don't want you to miss that episode and any of the future episodes for that matter. So now is a perfect time to hit follow or subscribe on whatever app it is that you're using right now to listen to the episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this on the website, right around the audio player, you're going to find some options for podcast apps as well. Okie dokie, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with Lorraine Miano. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans.